Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of Plant Services Tool Belt Podcast. Today, I've got a special guest that's going to talk with us about sustainability and control systems. Uh, it's Larry West. He's a sales engineer for Perceptive Controls. He essentially leads the sales department for his company. And he and I met about a month ago at the RPM show in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, it's a regional show dedicated to uh, several kinds of maintenance and reliability, uh, especially uh, motors and control systems. So uh, he gave a terrific presentation at the conference and was gracious enough to share some insights from that presentation with us today. Uh, Larry, thanks for being with us, man. Well, thank you for having me, Tom. You know, um, for those of our audience who haven't had a chance to meet you in person, um, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and something you're working on right now? Absolutely. So again, my name is Larry West. Uh, I've been in the um, engineering and uh, electrical field for uh, industrial use for roughly 25 years. Uh, Before that, uh, military, United States Navy, uh, gunner's mate, missile type. over the years, I, uh, I've uh, been able to do field engineering work, engineering work, and I've, uh, I've ventured into the sales world. So, Excellent. You know, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to relate to your military background, too. This field, for some reason, seems to draw an awful lot of Navy and Coast Guard veterans, in addition, in addition to other, other veterans, too. Yep. Yeah, the Navy, you know, the Navy is a great platform for learning. I mean, because, because of shipboard services, so many elements of working on a ship require maintenance. So it's just, it's a natural elevation to go from, you know, the Navy into the, into the machine world, if you will, and industrial worlds. And that's why, that, 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 that's the common practice. No, that, that's a great point. And reliability when you're out, out at sea is critical too. You can't afford to have some, uh, more than one or two things break down, if any. <laughs> the, the, the crew depends that's right. on it. That is correct, Tom. If you're not steaming ahead, you're you're uh, you're sitting in the water, just kind of kind of going with the waves, and nobody likes that. So, <laughs> well, I, if I could shift to your talk at RPM, you know, you you mentioned uh, that we're in a moment, the sustainable moment is a, is upon us, and you know, I I like that you mentioned if you're not steaming ahead, you're you're kind of lost. Um, that could apply to the sustainable moment too. Um, the thing you directly said was that the sustainable moment is upon us now, regardless of political opinion. And, and that's something I happen to agree with, no matter which side of the fence you're on. Momentum that has been building seems to be cresting in terms of everyone focusing on energy efficiency and recognizing that uh, industry has to do something, anything more than they have been to address the sustainable moment. So can you talk about some of the things that plant teams can expect from this moment in the next couple of years that may be different from what they're, they're used to right now? Absolutely. One of the big things that a lot of plants have already done or are looking at, LED lights is a major, is a major transformation in, in most plants as far as how they're lighting their business. A lot of rebates, a lot of programs have been put in place to help facilities change out their LED lights. I bring that up first because that's the that's the one big thing that we have been able to accomplish almost nationwide for most most facilities. We're really here to talk about industrial energy use, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I, the same kind of principles will apply. First, look at look at Energy Star for for uh, for appliances. 
that's a big one that um, that if you've bought an appliance within the last 10 or 15 years, you look at the sticker on the back and you'll see what it says Energy Star. And it basically rates the piece of equipment how much energy it's going to use for the year. You're going to see equipment and you're going to you're going to see regulations come and come to be that are going to place maybe not directly that same type of, of system, but something very similar to equipment. In other words, manufacturers that manufacture equipment, no matter how unique, are going to be required to rate their system on their energy use. That's something that you can you'll you can be sure is going to come down the um, buying equipment. We've commonly bought equipment using three metrics. Do we trust the vendor? Do we, you know, the cost of the equipment and the quality of the equipment? Those are the three major metrics that most companies will buy equipment against. There's going to be a fourth. How much it costs energy, you know, how much energy usage does it take to make each widget, each, each piece of product that I'm trying to bring off of that machine. So there's going to be a calculation that has to be done against energy usage. Uh, finally, one of the things that we're going to see change is there's going to be a bigger, there, there's going to be a lot more emphasis on rebates and co energy costs. If I can even see things like where, you know, companies get a rating. In other words, you know, from one to five, you know, you know, one being a poor energy user to five being a great energy user, and your cost ratio will be based upon how efficient you are with your energy usage. So those are some of the things that I see coming down the pipe when you when we talk about industrial energy use. Interesting. You know, I know in, in, in Illinois, we've covered a couple of companies who took advantage of the solar energy rebates when uh, one, one company was McGee Glove, and they had moved into a new warehouse, which had a, a very suitable roof. It was reinforced, and it was fairly, it, it, it was almost uniformly flat. So they were able to put a solar panel array up on top and take advantage of some of the state's rebates. Part of what we learned is that these rebates are not going to be around forever. I mean, once once certain kinds of energy, uh, um, well, energy sources and en energy methods become more standard. Those rebates, those rebates may be going away. So, I, is there a window right now, in general, with the states when it comes to how soon people should look into these alternate energy sources? Um, it, it does it vary from state to state? Well, in my opinion, Tom, the energy mm -hmm. services are really in flux right now. So, if every house, if everybody put on solar panels, every business put on solar panels, and what does the energy company become? They don't become an energy uh, creator, they could they become a source of distribution versus the energy creator. That's kind of where we're in flux right now because everybody has the potential to become an energy producer. Hmm. So you know how does that you know how do we marry that? You know obviously our energy companies have been supplying energy for a lot of years and they don't want to stop. <laughs> you know so right. So the to your point there's going to be a point where there is enough energy in the process to be able to, to, to handle the load or the necessary need. The, okay. At that point, that's when the rebates will start to diminish. Okay. Oh, so you are right. They will start to diminish. But once we hit that point, 
there's there's a number of years that we have before, you know, especially as companies come off of coal and some of these other energy resources, wind and solar have a hard time meeting the same amount of kilowatt kilowatts that these units provide. So mm-hmm. the rebate should be in place for a lot for for quite a while yet, but um, they will start to diminish in how much their value is, right? So they'll start to be less, and then they will go away over the years. Okay. No, that that. Thank you for explaining that. Um, I'm curious about preparedness. Uh, when you know, so when it comes to these rebates, when it comes to these initiatives, based on what you've seen in the field, um, how prepared do you see industry for the changes you're describing here? I mean, one being most prepared, and and ten being least prepared. Uh, do most plants fall somewhere on that scale, or are there, are there some verticals that stand out as being more prepared? So, if you look at it, it, talking about America, if you look at America, just, you know, my opinion from what I've seen, we're not well prepared, but we're very resilient. Okay. It's just going to take that big stick. And that big stick is a couple of things. Number one, it's social, it, it's basically social push. People saying, look, I want to buy my materials and products from a company that is sustainable, that uses good energy practices. The other, the other is obviously government mandate and regulation. And those two things are going to be the stick that pushes us. The, the fortunate thing that we have, and I still believe in, is our resiliency. Mm-hmm. You know, America's really pioneered the, the industrial age. And we're, we're set to, to move into this new realm. It's just like I say, it's going to take that stick. It's going to take that something else. If I expand on that a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, it's the business leaders, the, the, the leaders of these businesses to push their business into this new world. Uh, going back to when the car was first introduced, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of statements, a lot of people looked at the car and said, yeah, that's a fad. That, that's going to that's gonna come and go. Well, we know that's silly today, right? Mm-hmm. Is that silly today? Because infrastructure grew, reliability in the automobile, and trust in the automobile grew. And those things made the automobile popular and, and, and basically the virtual tool that we have today. It didn't happen overnight. Although it may seem like it today, it did not happen overnight those times. Mm-hmm. And wagon shops that, that just couldn't move from wagon to car, they died. And right. businesses today will do the same that just cannot see this, cannot forecast this themselves. Interesting. Well, that's, it's instructive to watch those silent movies once in a while in Turner Classic to see just how few cars there were for some of those. And, and you're right, the, the change didn't happen overnight. It was gradual. Uh, and then all, all of a sudden, you know, Henry Ford comes along and makes the car more affordable and suddenly, boom, you've got the, you've got the change. Um, I think Greta Thunberg recently went on the record, Larry, as, as saying something similar to what you just said. She said, which company is going to be the one? Which company is going to be the first to take those major steps and lead us all towards uh, a, a future with less carbon emissions? You know, and, and it's she, she's inviting that one company to start to really start the, the process of chain reaction, get everyone going. Well, and she, it's. But many companies have started. It's just not. It's not widely. It's not widely known yet, right? It it hasn't 
you know, every company, I should say every, but most companies, you look at their website, they're, they're making proclamations to what they're doing for energy. And I don't mean to say that they're not doing those things. I'm sure they are. Mm-hmm. But they're doing those little things, those little proclamations, and they're, they're making those statements that, that discuss what they are doing. But there's nobody that really kind of shines in this in this realm that, that that has just the facts on the on the ground that shows how much energy they've saved in the last five years by by implementing those programs. Mm-hmm. We're in that stage right now. We will get some of those shiners come through, and really, it's the work. It's not the statements; it's the work. The root, the work will prove itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're you're reminding me about 20, 30 years ago. It wasn't all that common for plants to have zero waste to landfill goals or even succeed at those goals. Um, but now it's it's almost a commonplace thanks to things like uh, not just Energy Star, but also the, the lead system for, for buildings to help uh, to help uh, meet the meet those zero waste targets. Yeah. Uh, well you you mentioned the waste, you know, you you want you, you know, like our waste, you know, look at the recycling that we've done over the years. And you know, a lot of people, they hate recycling. They hate make the, the, making those transitions. But as that has happened, companies have developed different things. We've developed, you know, like you've got a bin that has that simple marking on it. And that's enough to say that, hey, this is where the paper goes. As long as it's sitting right next to the trash can, it's easy to throw it in there. And as people start to respect it, then they don't throw, you know, the 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 nebulous stuff, the, the the foreign stuff that shouldn't be in there, it's less and less because it becomes more respectful. Hmm. It's hard to make these changes, and it's easy to complain about them when they first happen. But as businesses, as companies start to see where there are opportunities to be able to make life easier in these things, it does. And if you look at our you look at our waste management, we have really come a long way in how we. How we how we we look at those things and it and it's a measurable difference. Yeah, truly. I, I just took I just, just took out my recycling this morning on a Friday, and the recycling bin was a lot more full than the than the landfill bin. So, point. Yeah, and, and that's and that's a great thing, Tom. Yeah. I mean, you know, if if you think about everything you throw away, think about it this way: you purchased that thing, no matter what that was. It can be as simple as a cheese wrapper. You purchased that in the, you know, you purchased the cheese, but that's what came with it. Somebody bought that for a purpose. Can we repurpose it? Some things, you know, just unfortunately, just because of the way they're made and the way that they're they're functionally fit, they they don't repurpose well. But as we start to look at things, you know, those things can also change. How do we repurpose our products? One of the, you know, I know we're getting off the subject of energy a little bit, but one of the things we look at here is when we replace a control system or do anything like that, we always take a look at the parts that we're taking out. Is mm-hmm. there any way to repurpose those parts? Is there any way to reuse them? Even if we're using those in just a just a, um, a kind of a, a working board here to be able to showcase our work, it's still something that doesn't put that in a landfill. It gives it new life, if you will. And I'm pretty proud of that. You know, along with the energy, I'm really proud of that. Well, and I pre- thank you for bringing us back to control systems because that was really the bulk of your presentation at the RPM symposium. It was how control systems and, and things like SCADA systems can help support these sustainability goals. It, could you tell us um, some more about that connection? I know you, you had a great example of the eternal running conveyor. Maybe I can we can start there and you can talk about how conveyors and control systems can work together to, uh, to help support sustainability. That's right, Tom. 
Um, one of the things, you know, I was a field engineer for better than 12 years for a, for a uh, conveyor in the Kalamazoo area. All right, excuse me, conveyor for a manufacturer in the in the Kalamazoo area. And, and I traveled across the world working on machinery, heavy machinery, um, press operations to chemical operations, the gambit. And one of the things in almost every one of those circumstances I could find in every plant was what I call the perpetual running conveyor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it was more than one conveyor, right? These are conveyors, material moving equipment that just sets off in the corner, nobody's seeing it, and it just runs. Whether the press is running, whether whether we're moving materials, that conveyor is just running. And it's one of the things that I always, you know, as a as a field engineer and, and as a controls, uh, you know, controls minded, is one of those things that always perplexed me as being one of those easy fixes, you know, just like the lights. It's one of those things with with good communication between equipment or sensors, we can we can pause that conveyor, let it see the material, then run the conveyor, and then pause it again when material has been pushed through. And, and that is one of those real easy, real quick solutions that we can look at. And that's where controls kind of fits in the process. Now, if we expand beyond just the conveyor, you look at every machine process. Within every machine process, there's usually multiple things going on. We don't need to spin everything all the time. If we look at the machine process and, you know, let's just say, for instance, it's a, it, it basically extrudes material and cuts. Sometimes you'll have a spinning blade that just sits there and cuts, whereas if we change the process just a little bit, we can, as we extrude, we can cut and change that process so we're not spinning a motor all the time, only when it's necessary. That's a, that's a loose comparison, but it's, it's something that people can think about in their process. Um, there are instances where, you know, you do want to leave a motor run where there's warm-up time or cycle times that just don't, just don't make sense to start and stop that many times in a cycle. So not everything needs to start and stop, but where the, where the energy savings can be had, it should be looked at. Moving on from the controls, I'd like to talk about SCADA for just a minute, because SCADA is that one tool that if you don't already have it, you likely don't see the need for it. So SCADA, so you, can, you need controls to move your, you move your materials and make your products. The controls control the machines, makes everything happen. SCADA is that different element. SCADA is that data retrieval system that basically says, I'm gonna take this information, I'm gonna compile it, and I'm gonna give you some data to say how you're doing. So you really don't need data to get the product at the end, out, out the door in a lot of cases. But here's that missing link of what's going on here without it. SCADA gives you that control process to be able to see what your machine is doing at any time. So you can compare it to previous months, you can compare it to shifts, you can compare that how that machine or how that operation is working by, by several different metrics to find out why it is or is not being efficient at, at certain times or at certain shifts or at you know, certain times of the year, even. For instance, I, if, I'm, if I'm a sugar producer, 
it is very likely if I'm not in a climate controlled building that in the summertime, if I'm in a high humidity area in the summertime, I'm going to have more conveyor issues. I'm going to have more operational issues because that humidity is having an adverse effect on my sugar and being, how it's being able to move through the system. SCADA is one of those things that can measure those things for you and tell you what's going on. So if I know the humidity is getting high, I know I better change my process or turn the air conditioners on to make sure I get that humidity out of the room so that way I can my sugar will flow. Many products that many powders, many granulates have the same effect with humidity. Um, and that's where SCADA can come in and give you those useful tools to tell you how operation is. When we talk about energy savings, same thing applies. So if I have a conveyor that runs in the morning at 3.2 amps, but in the afternoon it runs at 4.8 amps, what changed? Am I getting more production? Am I not? And I can see those numbers. And if I'm not getting more production, then I know something has changed. Don't know what that is, but that gives me the point of the investigation to do. Without that data coming back, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's that conveyor running in the corner with nobody looking at it. And that's what SCADA can do. I'd like well, to end on the SCADA point if I could. Sure. Just talk about you know, where it's important in business, if you're not measuring your, if you're not measuring your machine's capabilities, I can, I can almost guarantee your competition is. And you're really giving your competition a competitive advantage to be able to exploit where they can save money, where they can save time, where they can be more efficient and, and, and a better competitor. They can compete against you the way that you can't. Well, so let's talk about that for a second, Ben. When it comes to companies that don't have a SCADA system, and let's say they see the light after listening to this podcast today, listening to your uh, reasons for implementing the system, who can normally start that conversation to get the SCADA system deployed? I mean, is would it come from operations to justify the operational returns? Would it come from the maintenance and reliability crowd um, who we're mostly talking to today? to from an asset management perspective, or is it really just a project champion who sort of ties everyone together? Yeah, so the first, the first place, if I was a business leader, the first place I would go is I would go to my IT team. Okay. The reason why I would go to my IT team is because when you talk about SCADA, you're gonna be moving information through your computer system, through your network. So the first team that you've got to get on board and understand what you need as a process is your IT team. Um, once, you have, once you have a champion in your IT team that knows what's necessary, if you have controls personnel in your building, you may be able to perform SCADA and get reasonable data through your own controls team. SCADA is, there, there's a lot of resources in SCADA like Ignition, Wonderware, and several other brands out there, you know, that, uh, that can bring machine data to life for you. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, we're perceptive controls. We do controls and automation. So in your region, in your area, if you don't have those resources and tools, you may want to look to a controls automation resource to be able to help you with that. They likely have a team member that's that's very knowledgeable in those in, in the languages, and they may have some good recommendations for you to, to what process you want to go with. 
Now, I will caution uh, most of your listeners that keep in mind that most automation houses have a brand specific that they like to use, and you know they're going to lean you toward those brand specifics. Do your own research or look for a company that you know does a spectrum of different um, data processes, so that way they have because literally each one has better and work has better features depending on what you're trying to do. Uh, let's uh, give you a for instance here. Um, a new a new way to transport data is uh, MQTT. If you haven't heard that, and if you have if you haven't, look it up. Um, MQTT is is basically a way to to uh, assign data and and give and and basically send or receive depending on depending on what you're doing. You know, it's funny, Larry, we see a lot of people coming into maintenance and reliability from this very direction where they might start as either control system engineers um, or data scientists. And then uh, once they follow the discipline a little while uh, and learn what what the marketplace might need, a lot of them are focusing on heavy industry and manufacturing as a place to grow their own business. so I, I can't guarantee that all of our listeners will know what MQTT is, but it, it's funny, the younger ones definitely will because I'm just noticing that the, the, the newer maintenance and reliability professionals often come from that direction. Well, as we've grown, as, 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 as we've grown our SCADA line, one of the things that we like about MQTT is just the ease of use and, the, and it really captures the information in a small packet, if you will. Mm-hmm really saves a lot of bandwidth by going this way. And, and it's, and, and by all accounts, it's as secure or more secure than a lot of other, other ways to send and receive data. So it, so when you look at MQTT, and if that's a resource that you want to utilize, some SCADA packages are more ready, shall I say, to accept MQTT than others. Hmm. And so you want to make sure, so, so how you want to send and receive the information is important. That's one aspect of which, which, uh, you, which um, SCADA package you'd want to look at. Other things like, you know, what type of control units do you already have? So if you have one brand of control unit, frankly speaking, you may want to look at any SCADA resource that that brand offers as it will likely communicate more more easily, it'll, it'll be less, there'll be less um, handshaking that have to be done and it more kind of true connection, if you will. Okay. Uh, well, so many, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, let, let me ask one more question then about these systems in general, not just MQTT. Uh, well, a lot of our maintenance listeners are being tasked, especially to be aware of cybersecurity issues. So um, for those who may not have researched cyber and SCADA and control systems, is cyber sort of baked into these systems right now, or is cyber something which the IT systems and, like you said, a control system partner might be able to support um, people when it comes to addressing these issues? Well, first and foremost, what I would say is, you know, security. It, you cannot put enough emphasis or or too much emphasis on security. That is just a plain fact today. If you have holes in your system. There are people out there looking to exploit. Them. Mm-hmm. Um, security is one of those things that that uh, it 
And those are one that those security is one of the hardest, or should I say one of those big roadblocks in implementing a good SCADA system because the IT team at any facility are very, is very worried about having just yet another process or another tool, another, another component into their network. And rightfully so. You, you must do your research on that security. Make sure that the company that you're working with takes security seriously. Make sure they're following the protocols and make sure that your IT team has had a chance to vet those companies. With that, and that goes with the um, with the SCADA package or the SCADA, you know, the, the SCADA software that you're going to use as well. I would say most companies have done a really good job of keeping up their packages and making sure that the encryption on those packages are well suited. Mm-hmm. Where it falls down, Tom, is how those things are implemented. All mm-hmm. those packages all have. I don't want to say workarounds, but they have they, they have degrees of security to be used, right? So you can turn on or off the certificates. You can do a lot of things that make it less secure. It makes it easier to operate the process, navigate the system, but it makes it easier for the people that you don't want to do that to be able to do that as well. So everything that you do to make make it easier for yourself is making it easier for somebody else. My recommendation is make sure that that you take your security seriously. And if you do, a SCADA package is a very safe tool to implement. So if after that you're still concerned, there are other ways to manage data and SCADA that is outside of your network. So uh, uh, an IT team can create a guest or a separate network that the data is collected, that the data is managed over, and then you can bring it over through HTML or other resources to be able to see the data within your within the computers or within the elements on at your location without affecting or infecting, if you will, your your um, your net central network, if you will. Um, if yet you know to to take it even a step further, many devices and tools. There are many devices and tools out there that allow you to utilize cellular services to be able to push signals from one device to another that will that completely removes any any signals from any one of your networks. Interesting, and that's that's where IT can come in and explain the options, or a good integrator partner. Yeah, yeah. A good integrator partner should know should know all of these services, what they have in their arsenal to be able to deploy them, and be able to meet the needs of the IT team. The first, you know, as a business leader, first thing you need to do is listen to your IT team, what they, you know, what their concerns are with mitigating any risk in their system, and and then, you know, then after that, get with somebody like an integrator mm-hmm. and help you to put those tools in place. And, and remember, at all times, I guess, remember that we're, we, we're doing this in the name of sustainability, so to speak, that that's all this whole effort, uh, it, it will, be, will be funneled up through that, that expected uh, return when it comes to reducing energy use. Well, it's, as I said before, it's really a business, and I'll say it a different way, it's a business tool, Tom. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I hate, I hate, you know, I'll beat the drum again. If you're not doing it, I guarantee your competitors are, and they're gaining competitive advantage while doing it. 
you know, and so as much as you may not want to do it, as much as it may concern you with security, there are ways to make this very secure. And it's just, you're going to need to do it to be competitive as business grows, as business moves forward. Well, if that won't get our listeners to get moving, I'm not sure what will, Larry. Uh, thank you so much for being with us today. And for everyone who's listening, uh, I'll put Larry's uh, contact information, his LinkedIn profile in the speaker notes, and also uh, the Perceptive Controls um, homepage URL. So, Larry, thanks for your time today, man. This, this is great. Tom, it was a pleasure, and I appreciate you inviting me. I always like to, to share my thoughts, and I appreciate you giving me a platform to do it. All right. Well... Um, thanks all you for listening and again, look in those speaker notes to find out more from Larry and from Professor Controls. Thanks everyone. Thank you.